0: the First Principles podcast. Today is the episode on electric vehicles and the environmental waste that is associated with them. Of course, we know that environmental um, concerns are not really something that we talk about when it comes to, um, electric vehicles when we think of a tesla we just think of like oh it's so awesome like i'm doing such a good job for the environment i'm driving this thing zero to 60 in like 1.9 seconds or whatever it is um but the sad reality is that there's a cost to everything in life and um we're here to take a quick look at that and try to see what that is try to take a look at things that um maybe you're not you haven't considered before and uh yeah what uh, what are your thoughts uh on that uh, elliot yeah
1: the, i mean with the recent announcements on uh the use of evs in uh in you know many countries and they're growing um that market growing it uh you know the the idea that there's going to be a large number of uh, electric vehicles on the road in the near future is, um, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea behind the electric vehicle is, is that it, it is a, it's a solution in a way, a solution to the, uh, combustion engine, uh, a, a solution of getting fossil fuel driven cars off the road. And, um, it is that, it is that, um, but it comes with uh, some environmental impacts and, uh, you know, we need to look at what those are and make sure that this solution is is a solution and not just uh, trading one problem for another.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because we uh – it, it's easy to like just go chasing after the next like shiny object. There's like that shiny object syndrome. So we have a tendency to go like, oh, this is like the the next best thing or this is the next best thing. And uh, <clears throat> maybe there is, uh, obviously, there's a huge potential to uh, electric vehicles. And I think one of it is uh, something that I've talked about before. It's what uh, comes down to when we have electric vehicles, you're kind of decentralizing um, or sorry, you're centralizing the emissions. So when you look at the combustion vehicles, there's tailpipe emissions and that's decentralized throughout the city, right? So you have it throughout the streets, throughout the highways, and there's a various models that track how these emissions spread throughout the city. Now, when it comes to a city, a town, municipality, whatever, that is uh, more predominantly um, the drivers or the fleet, of vehicles are electric vehicles then now we're removing those tailpipe emissions and centralizing it towards the power plant from which the electricity is created but then of course the question is what is that power plant and um, how are you getting that energy Um, and of course with increased use of electric vehicles there could potentially be more of a demand of energy so where is that energy going to come from is one question that we need to consider absolutely yeah and not just the power plants but the
1: mine is another centralized uh, point of emissions that will start to grow uh, as the electric fleet grows because you know with more electric cars you need uh, more of the raw materials mined Uh, and this uh, the the mines are another source of emissions, whether it's CO2 or other. And the important thing to always consider is the different ways uh, that we measure environmental impact. There's a high focus right now on CO2 equivalent, CO2 emissions, uh, because of uh, the role CO2 has in global warming. and But there's also environmental impacts in terms of Uh, wastewater produced at mines, um, and other types of emissions, non-CO2 emissions. So let's look at the scenario here. EVs are removing emissions in cities. There's no longer the tailpipe CO2 emissions There's no longer the particulate. There's no longer the other emissions associated with um, combustion engines. But these these emissions have moved other places now we're not here to talk too much about where those emissions are uh, and how they how they can be uh, captured or anything like that but that is a reality that has to be considered when you're looking at uh, the environmental impact of these vehicles today what we want to focus on is the materials that are unique to evs and their environmental impact so we're talking uh, rare earth metals we're talking lithium and, and what is the environmental impact of extracting those metals? And when you really sum this all up, is it that much better than a diesel or gas car? I mean, mm. the obvious answer is, yes, it must be. That's why we're doing it. Right. 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 Sometimes obvious
0: isn't so uh, obvious, though. And that's what we want to mm-hmm. get into. Because the thing is that there have been environmental regulations that have led to uh, combustion vehicles to decrease their tailpipe emissions, right? And it's if you compare the modern, like twenty twenty one Honda Civic or whatever, to like your nineteen seventies vehicle and the tailpipe emissions, it's like uncomparable. So. There's been progress for the combustion engine, and I don't think it's going to go down without a fight. I think there's a lot of automakers that will put it up, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, it, it, there does seem to be like a lot of market shift where some companies are even saying like outright that they're going to switch exclusively to um, uh, electric vehicles, right? Um, what is it? Volvo, I think, is one of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I do believe there are a handful of them that are going to go exclusively that way. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, w- which I think is good ultimately because it's going to further put uh pressure on uh combustion vehicles to uh become even better in terms of their environmental emissions and because if the society if the market is looking for more environmentally friendly uh vehicles then like that's kind of like what they have to provide whether it's like a combustion engine or an electric engine uh an an electric motor excuse me um but i think overall it's good in, in that sense um but yeah, I think. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think div- diversifying the way we uh, do transportation is good, and as long as we trade, uh, competition, you know, right? It's as long as there is competition, and we, but we also, uh, you know, trade um, in 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 an equivalent manner. What I mean by this is that we get rid of, if we're if we're going to have companies say we're getting rid of a, a you know a, a gas combustion car uh and replace it with an electric car the electric car in my mind has to do exactly the same thing in different climates in different environments uh at least if not mm-hmm. do better and if we're do, and that's just for the performance as like a a good principle for like producing products you know uh but then when mm-hmm. we talk about the environmental side of it we got to make sure that when we make the, inv- the EV, you know, that equivalent product, that it still is actually uh, beneficial for in an environmental sense, um, because mm. there could be a scenario where when you, as you push these out, um, certain practices get, you know, um, cut, like they, in, in a rush to produce thousands of uh, cars, we end up just... Trying to mine very quickly, we push those markets grow in places that have low environmental regulations, and ultimately we get this technology. But
0: you know, it costs. at will cost, cost, yeah. cost, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're so heavily dependent on um, a potential like competitor, a potential enemy such as China, right? Where like some of the rare earth metals that are required for these electric vehicles come from. Uh, China, which is um the number one supplier of neodymium um <laughs> i love that name neodymium neodymium <laughs> never even heard of that um uh, by theodore gray I, I believe um oh never mind never mind uh, yeah neodymium um but yeah they are the the largest provider of this um rare earth metal which is used as a magnet within um the uh, electric vehicles uh, predominantly and uh, the issue is that it is predominantly supplied by china and um right you know now with kind of some concerns about like supply and you know do you really want certain things to be coming from somewhere where they can like kind of Put a bottleneck on it, which they did apparently in um, the two thousands, where like it shot up the price by like seven hundred percent, two thousand percent, something like that. Um, So essentially, you have this good; it's an input to a product. And that input is highly suspect where it can fluctuate in terms of cost, it can fluctuate in terms of availability because you're dependent on a potential foreign foe slash ally. I don't know, it's better to look at it as an ally, but I don't know if they look at the West as an ally or a foe, but... um, it's it, yeah it kind of like brings the idea where like maybe there's better investments to be done for like and the and that's the case for like um ethical mining right where uh, i've talked about this before and kind of like you've laughed at me but I'm just i like, don't remember laughing <laughs> but just like <laughs> when you have mining that's done in like for example western countries such as canada uh, versus the mining that's done in China like I can imagine that there's kind of higher standards in terms of the environmental emissions in terms of um, finding uh, in, or in, in terms of even community outreach to local native indigenous communities and then also not only that but getting them involved in getting the local indigenous people jobs uh, high paying jobs that, um, they, that they will benefit from for themselves their families Um, so there's all these things that are in place in Canada when these large multi-billion dollar mining projects do uh, occur um, which are arguably done in a more ethical way than if you were to do it somewhere where there's less requirements in terms of the environmentals and the the, the working conditions the labor requirements the uh, requirement to include um like uh, talks with local indigenous communities the local impacted groups all these things there's so many like levels to this shit absolutely yeah
1: yeah you know and it's it's difficult to say uh you know 100% what the conditions are in countries uh outside of the ones that you we people know um you know uh, and there are document cases, of course, there are of uh, mines operated in horrendous ways, uh, whether it is for environmental reasons, whether it's for the rights of the workers. Um, this is a, a reality. And there's always complications now with resources that come from all around the world because of the geopolitics of of, of things. And, you know, that's... Uh, that's something that we have to navigate as we uh, develop a new technology or anybody who's developing new to- technology has to navigate, you know, where where are we going to source these things from and what are the challenges related to getting these products. Um, I think it's uh, mm-hmm. the case we're making here, though, specifically for environmental impact is uh, and then we've said this before on a previous podcast is m- mining is hard on the environment. That's the reality mm-hmm. of mining. You're, you're extracting, yeah. uh, you know, some resource out of, out of other rock, other, other scarring you know, the earth, you're scarring the earth. And, and so it's not pretty. Uh, it's, but it is, if, if you're going to mine, there are ways to, to do mining that's better than others. Yeah. Um,
0: so, and, and, and uh, which I go back to the point where, like, yeah, certain people do it better than others. So, yeah, uh, ethical. Go, Canada. <laughs> if, we're go smart, go. if we're smart enough to actually invest in our freaking natural resources, but yeah. don't even get me started on that. <laughs> um, you want to maybe jump into some of these clips? Yeah, let me set this up. So, I'm going to talk
1: uh, about lithium. Uh, lithium is the, a key component to. The battery and ba- and the and and um, I think understanding where lithium comes from the life the life cycle of lithium uh, or of, of specifically of like the battery is, is important in understanding a- environmental impact uh, of of electric vehicles because lithium batteries are not just used for electric vehicles obviously they're used for all sorts of electronics today and you know lithium has become the choice, I would say, for high density uh, batteries mm-hmm. that um, basically provide a lot of storage in a lightweight, compact uh, uh, manner. So, let's talk about lithium um, and and see what uh, from from this very from when it's mined out of the ground to its end of life. What what's happening? Mm-hmm. So. The first clip is from a YouTuber. His channel is called uh, Just Have a Think, and he focuses on climate and sustainability topics. He himself, it, he says he's not a scientist. Um, he's a British-born gent who uh, basically has uh, an interest in sustainability and the climate, and he does has this little uh, bit about uh, lithium,
0: um, but I think, uh, yeah, like just to touch on, uh, before we jump into the clip itself, but like what you, uh, just touched on there for looking at like the life cycle of a item. It's something that we've discussed with another episode as well. And, um, it's something that I think is important because sometimes we get fixated on like one, um, element of the production process uh, which is like you know the, the creation extraction but then there's also like the, the disposal that we have to consider which maybe is something that gets less of uh public attention and less like media coverage and that's where like the whole Im- importance of doing the life cycle analysis the cradle to grave analysis really uh, comes in um and because something might g- look good up front but then the downstream costs might make it mm, not so good so it's a uh, that's why it's really important to have that framework for analyzing these types of complex issues A 100%
1: yeah yeah, that's exactly right, and and something like lithium uh, batteries for EVs in this first ten-year period of uh, you know electric vehicles, they might still be around, they might be functioning correctly now, but like anything, uh, lithium batteries for EVs eventually uh, they die, they 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 break down, and they need to be replaced. So that's the waste generation. What do you do? Can we re- extract? uh, lithium out of and reuse it that recycling process that all has to be considered it's maybe not being considered um or you haven't heard a lot about it recently because it's still very new and this waste hasn't Mm -hmm. come about yet like i think right now there is more demand for lithium than to to create uh these batteries than there really is to deal with the waste at this point but Mm -hmm. as we'll get into dealing with the waste will become a key Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, coming up. Yeah, a a key thing that we need to focus on and think about if we want to create a sustainable product.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So let's jump into this first clip and see what's up.
2: The carbon footprint of an electric vehicle over its entire lifetime is far less impactful than a petrol or diesel car. That's not just the view of environmental groups and dedicated electric car makers like Tesla. Those are also the findings of none other than the mighty Volkswagen group themselves. But the initial production of an electric vehicle currently carries a carbon footprint almost double the size of ICE cars. And the reason for that is the batteries. And a big part of the battery footprint comes from the extraction and processing of lithium. Right. So, the
1: initial construction of an EV is when you when you look at it in terms of its co2 footprint is double that of a diesel car mm-hmm. and what i i, I want to focus on some of the wording here uh, that he says because uh he starts off by saying the carbon footprint of an electric vehicle over the entire lifespan of its its entire lifespan is far less impactful than a petrol or diesel car that would be that seems obvious that seems why like why we're doing this right yeah and then he goes on to say oh you know it's not just like tesla saying this and you know envirohead saying this this is you know Vol- volkswagen did an analysis mm-hmm. and he actually has uh, a graph from the volkswagen analysis that he shows up on uh, uh, on his youtube channel as he's talking about this and i took a closer look at this graph uh uh, so this graph is looking at the climate footprint of the e-Golf, their electric vehicle, versus their golf diesel. And it's broken the vehicle into three phases. It's production, its user, it's user phase, and then it's recycling. And it tracks on this graph its you know CO2 equivalent footprint for each of these phases.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what you see... Right off the bat, yeah, you see the footprint of the e-Golf is double that of the diesel. But as you go th- through oh, across time, and in this case they, they they don't track it in years, but they track it in um, mileage or or in kilometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that line with the of the electric vehicle crosses the diesel, and, and the final the final uh, placement is at. 2,000, or or 200,000, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, kilometers. And the footprint, the CO2 footprint, falls less than the diesel. Now, I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, okay, that tells the story. But... at what point does it cross? Right. At what point it costs is is something that I find fascinating. It crosses at 125,000 kilometers. Mm -hmm. Now, this is an interesting number because... If you look at average kilometers in Canada, uh, we have uh, well natural. Uh, what did I find? According to the Natural Resource Canada Office Office of Energy Resources, the average mileage per year in Canada is around fifteen thousand two hundred kilometers. So, if you took the one thousand twenty five. Uh, sorry, one hundred twenty-five thousand kilometers. That it, it basically to get to that crossing point, and divided by the average use per year. Basically, you need to drive that e golf for eight years before it becomes. Mm-hmm. Before it becomes, it becomes a, a, it has a CO two um, footprint that's less than the diesel. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not unusual because something like um, a reused. Uh, Stainless steel or plastic water bottle is the idea. Would be you make this product instead of using uh, disposable one single-use water bottles. Right, but higher it, energy input. There's always higher energy input to create this more durable product. So it, over time, and initially, it actually you know was more to build that that reusable uh, water bottle. But over time, you basically pay for itself but i want to point out here that eight years for vehicles is quite a long period of time um you know Mm -hmm. depending on the quality of vehicles especially uh diesel and gas cars um you start to run into issues around for some vehicles around 10 years about how much maintenance costs Mm -hmm. for for keeping this thing on the road so Mm -hmm. the the evs will have to be made to last uh, a good chunk of time um, if they are to actually, this e-golf, to actually yeah. be breaking even with its counterpart. And the other thing I would like to point out is diesel itself has a higher CO2 footprint than gasoline. So by mm-hmm. comparing it, their diesel version against their CO2, uh, I guess they're against their EV, I should say, um, they're, they're accentuating the difference. But in, if you were actually to put uh, the the, the compared to to a gas vehicle you would actually have it would even take longer for the ev to cross the uh the the co2 footprint of it because the co2 footprint of gas is less than than diesel um and that's according to uh
0: another nr can one that says basically if if it was if it would take longer then wouldn't the co2 footprint be higher
1: The CO2 footprint of a gas one is is lower than the diesel.
0: Okay. But then if that was the case, then wouldn't it take longer to break even? I messed up. (laughs) No, I'm just thinking because um, I think with diesel is that they're seen as more efficient in terms of per mileage. In terms of their CO2 um, emissions, um, but they release like other emissions like that, uh, like more particulates and that type of stuff that you don't get with the, and like sulfuric, uh, it's like SOX um, emissions that you don't get so much with the uh, combustion engines. But with the combustion engines, you have higher CO2 emissions like per mile, um, if I'm not mistaken so then so then that's why it, if it was higher co2 emissions per mile then that's why it would take even longer for it to break even with the relative to the diesel so the diesel is it would actually be like under-representing what a gasoline would do or or would it be over, well the, or it be this, this is
1: what i, 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 what I was I mean? basing it off so gasoline engines produce. 2.3 kilograms of CO2 per liter of gasoline consumed, compared to a diesel engine, which produces 2.7 kilograms of CO2. So the difference is 2.3 kilograms to 2.7. So the
0: difference is zero. Oh, so gasoline is less. Two point three. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. So, <laughs> and that's theirs. Their their gasoline um, diesel versus their. Or their their diesel versus their gasoline?
1: Yeah, no. So I, I don't think I I'm wrong here. I still think if if you put if if the footprint of the the overall footprint of the gasoline car is less, basically it drags down. Uh, it it, it not drags down, but it would take longer for you need to basically drive the the e golf longer to surpass the the f- the f- the footprint,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, if it's if it's less than, so re- read me the numbers again. If it, it's it's two point three versus two point seven for like the, the um, for, kilograms
1: for, of CO two per liter of gas gasoline consumed. Uh, diesel engines produce two point seven kilograms of CO two per liter of diesel f- fuel consumed.
0: Mm, okay, but that's mm, that's tricky that's because, they, because they I, don't, I, I was thinking more like per kilometer driven that would be like the better analysis right
1: because the the uh, amount liters of diesel used versus the leaders mm-hmm. of gasoline used is it's going to be different it's not going to mm-hmm. be one-to-one for the engine
0: and if we're looking at like the distance driven for like the payback period in terms of the uh co2 right ultimately our our basis it should be relative to like the distance or the kilometers driven, right? Um, okay. Okay. So there's something to think about, something to think about.
1: Yes. And putting that point to the side, the, and focusing just on what the results of this Volkswagen study shows us, um, having the, the, the EV cross, you know, at 125 thousand kilometers uh that to me is not an immediate benefit that that, again it goes back to to my uh, to the point that you have to have a car you know uh it's only after you know eight years of use of the car on average that you you're gonna have
0: a Mm -hmm. a, a benefit not only after eight years that's that's more than like 60 over 65 percent of the life of the vehicle so you have to Right, because if it's two hundred thousand, the estimated life expectancy, and you're gonna break even at one hundred twenty-five thousand, then what is that like? You're roughly around like seventy percent, sixty-sixty to seventy um, percent, you of of that life that you have to drive of that car. Uh, it's, mm, yeah,
1: it's better, but it's it's it certainly is not the, um, you know, it's not, it's not a. You know far less impactful Mm -hmm. like i think when you say far less impactful it's a bit misleading it is less impactful far less impactful we can get into semantics with that but it is it it takes some time for this and now if they could get down the initial uh co2 footprint uh the
0: the the ev would perform a lot better so i just had like oh my god Wow. Okay. Okay. I just had the crazy thought. Okay. But okay. Take this in. We just, we just realized that it takes eight years for the diesel vehicle to break even to the electric golf or or vice versa, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then for the gasoline, it's going to probably take longer, like let's say 10 years. Um, so like when you think about this, Kind of push in this narrative that's being kind of promulgated in media where it's like, oh, we need to um, shift towards like an electric economy. Uh, by twenty thirty, or else like where the the world is gonna end, or something like that, right? Like it's it's over. It like it it's catastrophic. It's a uh, global extension, like execution. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, people say. yeah. The more extreme narratives are. Right. Are okay. up there Yeah. Okay. But we just discovered that it takes minimum eight years to break even, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you see where i'm going with this i see where you're going you with this it. and and so, of course there's what year are we 2021 and how how,
0: how long are we until 2022 pretty well we're pretty close to 2022 pretty, so we're pretty much we're port, start, port yeah so we're November. at eight years yeah plus plus nine, ten. let's let's say for the gasoline okay let's say eight years so we're pretty much at that mark yeah of like 2030 yeah. So, at eight years, so, the payback period for these vehicles, so right? Like,
1: uh, <laughs> yes. And this is this <laughs> is what's interesting it. about this. So, you know, obviously, <laughs> the, this is a study done specifically of Volkswagen's e Golf to diesel. You can't apply it to everything. But if we if we were to simplify this and say, right now, we're just going to get rid of all vehicles and use the e Golf and under the current conditions and assumptions that were used to make this assessment what you said holds up Mm -hmm. there is no reduction in co2 for the next eight years
0: yeah in in fact it's it's yeah i guess if if it's even before that if we're looking at like by 2030 it's it's more yeah so we're actually be like no like if we're looking at like a five-year like trajectory if we had like a five-year game plan this wouldn't be good like converting to electric vehicles would not be good if we set ourselves like a five-year plan,
1: yeah, and and this it's is like- why all <laughs> these yeah, exactly very right. quick, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, th- these these short deadlines that things are going to happen, we need to do execute now, are are just ridiculous. Not just because, uh, simply because the, some of the, the solutions won't even you know uh, help with them, even if they're implemented immediately. So mm-hmm. the pro- there's problems that are created by trying to push something really quickly. And, and people go, oh, slow down. If We probably do a better job. Mm-hmm. No, we've got to implement it now. Well, that's going to cause problems to just mm-hmm. implement it now. And then on top of that, the solution is not even going to do what you think it's going to do. Exactly. And, and and again, Plus we got to tickets. focus on, we're hyper-focusing on the CO2 issue. Um, and that's only one metric to look at. You know, so that's, I always want people to remember that CO2 is just one metric to look at when we're talking about environmental impact. For sure, for sure. Do you want to jump into this? uh, Yeah. Let's listen to this guy a bit more.
2: Our modern utilization of lithium carries a double whammy impact on the environment. Firstly, at the start of its journey, when it gets extracted and processed, and then again at the end of its life, when it gets disposed of. There's two main ways to obtain industrial levels of lithium today. It's either pumped up from underground brine reservoirs and extracted by a process of evaporation, or it's mined directly from rocks, brine reservoirs are found in salars, or salt flats, high in locations in hot dry countries like Chile, Bolivia and Argentina. The mechanics of this method are pretty basic. The pumped up brine is left to sit in absolutely enormous ponds, allowing the heat of the sun to evaporate off all the water and leave behind the various mineral salts including lithium. The brine typically has a lithium content of anything from a few hundred parts per million or ppm up to about 7000 ppm. And that raw material then gets processed into lithium carbonate, which is a white powder that can be converted into other salts and chemicals or processed again into pure lithium metal.
1: Right. So now he's talking about where does lithium come from how do we obtain it from the earth and we, when we talk about mining a lot of people think about mining lithium from hard rock and that is one way which lithium is attained but there's a lot of mines that that use this brine method which is basically pulling up groundwater that salty groundwater and mm. laying it out in these ponds in a thin layer and letting that water evaporate and then mm-hmm. extracting salts that are in concentrations in parts per million, uh, and after that water evaporates. And, and no. right, this takes up land. This uses water mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, salt water is hard to use in other ways, so there could be an argument made that you know it, 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 its its use is limited. But um, this does take up large chunks of land and has a, a CO two footprint. Currently. Um, most most of the mines that are actually producing the vast majority of lithium are outside of Canada and the U.S. They're in um, um, South America, they're in Chile, they're in Australia, and they're being processed out of China. Um, So the point I just want to make here is that lithium is a finite resource much like the finite resource that we talk about with fossil fuels now key difference is when you combust fossil fuels you're destroying it converting it into co2 that has uh, impacts Mm -hmm. lithium uh, is a finite resource and you're not destroying it when you use it in batteries Um, but you could if you don't recycle it and extract out the materials from it at the end of its life, you are essentially making it uh, similar to to uh, gasoline in the sense that um, you're tossing it away, you're, you're treating it as waste. So lithium, we got a lot of it on the planet. Uh, once we start to re- extract it, it will become essential for this to be sustainable for us to recycle. And that's kind of the point I want to people to focus on that there is, uh, you know, this entire process needs to be considered from mm-hmm. from where it's
0: coming from to where it's going. Yeah, because I think, like, with the combustion engine, we burn the gas and it goes into the atmosphere. So that's what we want to avoid. Okay, great. But then when we have the other option, okay, the electric vehicle, then we have an, el- an electric motor and, okay, we're not putting the emission into the atmosphere, but we still have an emission, which is ultimately the by- the waste byproduct from this motor, which after six, seven years, whatever, is disposed of and then maybe used for uh, energy storage for another three, four years. And then afterwards is coup- puts. So then what do you do with that? Well, now that, uh, again, that output, that actionality isn't going to the, the air, it's going into the ground or wherever, or is being recycled or what is actually happening. So that is the question that needs to be considered, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think if you are not familiar with uh, lithium, how it's extracted and, and these studies that look at CO2 footprint, you're thinking like right from the beginning, the, this is low CO2. But, you know, as we've already pointed out, the, the amount of um, – uh, the amount the co2 footprint of just extracting this stuff like you said is very high have <laughs> and uh, that is uh i think eye opening now i have a ne- the next clips are from cbs and they did uh, a, a recent little bit uh, on lithium batteries and, uh, current production around the world and what's going on in the U S um, I took a few bits from this, this overall, uh, segment they did, and, uh, we can jump right into that, uh, that clip. Okay. Yeah, That's good. Clip. Coming up. Yeah.
3: With automakers pledging to soon make most of their vehicles electric, lithium demand is expected to increase as much as tenfold in the next decade. Right now, most of it is mined in Chile and Australia, and almost all of it is processed in China. The United States has just one lithium-producing mine in Southern Nevada, providing less than 2% of world supply.
1: Right, so a lot of that I've already said, but, the fact that the us which is one of the key players in terms or leaders i should say in trying to push the ev um uh, revolution forward trying to get gasoline cars off off the road has only one mine that's only providing two percent um uh, just speaks to again some of the the ways in which um we we're not seeing up close what the real environmental impacts are. You know, right. there these things are. You know, this is as one elsewhere is happening elsewhere again yeah. for the benefits of of mm-hmm. a richer Western, uh,
0: you know, uh, country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes in countries <laughs> where again we, we sacrifice environmental issues or regulations or labor uh, regulations, and that's why. They're able to get away with like maybe more more profits for for these countries, but um, but it's kind of like out of mind, out of sight, or out of sight, out of mind, you Eep. know. But actually, I want to correct something that I said earlier because I just looked this up, and there's a, a there's a sheet, um, that looked at emissions of a Volkswagen Golf TDI versus a Volkswagen Golf uh, TSI, so the gasoline version, and apparently, in terms of the CO two emissions there there was a bit of a higher emissions in the diesel version so 117 grams per kilometer versus 113 grams per kilometer so slightly higher emissions on the tdi uh
1: next clip yeah let's jump in the next clip so that's a continuation of this cbs uh, uh segment
3: Lithium is now so valuable, it's called white gold. There's believed to be billions of dollars worth of it here at Thacker Pass alone. And while it may be essential to a greener future, getting it out of the ground comes with its own environmental cost. The claim that this would be a green mine is extremely dangerous. Max Wilbert is part of a group of protesters yeah, this is our camp. Uh, who have been camping out on the Thacker Pass mine site since January. He says lithium is not the silver bullet many believe it to be because of the impact of mining on the land and the large amounts of wastewater created by lithium extraction. If we're trying to move away from fossil fuels, is the environmental impact at a site like this the lesser of two evils? You know, that's a really good question, but I think the problem is that's the wrong framing. Global warming is a huge problem, but in this attempt to save the planet from climate change, people are actually believing that we can save the planet by destroying it. Lithium Americas admits there will be environmental impacts, but claims new mining technology will lead to less damage. The company plans to begin its operation next year, potentially creating a lithium boomtown in nearby Winnemucca, Nevada.
1: Winnemucca, Nevada. Yeah. So uh, I included this clip and to give you a bit of context, there is uh, environmental activists camping out in uh, this region, uh, basically protesting the this mine from being developed. And the reporter goes down there and the question he asked them is, um, if we're trying to move away from fossil fuels, is the environmental impact at a site like this the lesser of two evils? Mm -hmm. important question it's an important question and you know the you know why why are we trying to move away from fossil fuels i think i'm correct in saying we're moving away from fossil fuels primarily the push right now is because not that we're running out of them but because of the co2 issue so Mm -hmm. we're running we're, we're basically if you measure it from co2 um The the reality is, uh, the CO two benefits of of lithium aren't great if not done correctly. If you can't get down the CO two footprint of mining, and you also are still using um, coal fire plants to make your electricity to run these vehicles, and you're not putting any scrubbers on them, then I'm almost confident. I'm very confident, I should say, that the CO2 balance doesn't actually look that great. It's just basically a shifting of where that CO2 is being outputted. However, mm-hmm. if you can bring down the CO2 footprint of mining and you can bring down the CO2
0: footprint from the electric production, then we're talking. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I think that's where, like, localized scrubbers come in, though, too, where, like, that might, could be, like, the benefit of having the localized emissions is that, like, it's a more controlled way of having, um, you, you, of of attempting to then sequester those emissions. And um, I think that's one of the benefits of having, like, moving away from uh, the combustion vehicles towards, like, those centralized point sources where is that like it would make it easier right and when you have like just one source that you have to deal with when it comes to taking out all these uh carbon emissions yeah come from like one place versus like all over the place like that's spread out throughout the whole city um it kind of like helps the, the task of course again it's not perfect but it kind of helps But then again, we have to look at, like, an increase in energy that does need to come in order to sustain a grid that is not going to be demanding more electricity in order to sustain the fleet of electric vehicles. So that's also something you have to consider. So if we're requiring a higher demand, then we either, you know, might need to build more um, natural gas plants or, you know, more perhaps um, renewable energy. But then we know that that can be kind of like in its old sense but then we, that's just where like the smart grid can come in and uh ultimately could be like where we are headed to where we have smart grids that are kind of maneuvering and optimizing like what what method of energy comes from at what point in time but yeah it's like, very complex yeah, and, and, so and what i so want yeah, to
1: point out is that. <laughs> that if if we don't Uh, develop these technologies in parallel, then the uh, benefits of them aren't realized until much further down the road than people think. So Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's great to say we're going to it's easier to control uh, the emissions at a centralized point. I agree with that. But if that doesn't happen, if people aren't putting the money investing into uh, scrubbers at the centralized plants, then lithium doesn't look so good, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you're kind of defeating the purpose because it's going to. Why are we doing this? Well, yeah. why right now, whether you agree with it or not, is because they want to do. Redu- we want to overall reduce CO2, our CO2 footprint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If if these things aren't done in parallel, we're not actually going to be doing. It. We're just shifting things around. Yeah, exactly. Just like a sleight of hand kind of going on. And and so when he when he responds, I'll read what he responds, and you know for whatever it's, it's worth, he says, it's a really good question. But I think the problem uh, is, uh, it has the wrong framing global warming is a huge problem, but the attempt to save the planet from the climate change. But this attempt to save the planet from climate change, people are actually believing that we can save the planet by destroying it. So he, he, to me, um, I I take issue with this, because this is, uh, again, kind of, when he says destroying it, I think I he's talking about the impacts of mining. Like he's talking about physically altering mm-hmm. the landscape, right? Um, mm-hmm. I love the beautiful natural landscapes, but mm-hmm. I also accept that mining is a reality, right? And uh, so it's uh, – to me, he, he kind of uh, – could have made a better argument here if he actually brought up the concept of co2 footprints and moving them around and that the you know if you do the checks and balances mm-hmm. things don't actually look as good um if these things aren't done but yeah. he's he still focused on on um what mining does to the landscape and yes yeah, so when they say at the end of that clip you know the mining company says we have you know, modern ways to reduce our environmental impact. They're talking about probably mm-hmm. uh, wastewater treatment from the mine, mm-hmm. uh, reducing that. Um, you know, just studies ahead of time to make sure they're not going into habitats uh, of a dangerous species. These mm-hmm. type of things, and and this all is the. These are all good things. These are the things that make the mining practice better. And mm-hmm. but um, I just want to say that I feel like he he kind of missed the point.
0: He could have made when responding to that reporter there yeah yeah definitely i I think it comes from like maybe an unrealistic look at the world where like you think that um okay it's like like where do you where do you think things come from (laughs) it's just like if there's a saying where if it's not grown its mind right and when you think about it it's like yeah like everything that we have if it's not grown as mine if it's food if it's clothing if it's a table like everything comes from the ground or like to to a certain degree so when you when you're talking about like destruction like it just comes from like this simplistic look at the world or like i don't know this look at the world where it's like Uh, everything is rainbows and sunshine and unicorns and daisies and just like yeah like it's, it's welcome to reality like this is how things work we like how do you think you you got that iphone or that smartphone in your pocket that lets you communicate with your friends like well there's a bunch of components in there that came from being mined from the ground like if not all of the components actually so it's just like what, what? How do you? What do you expect to happen? Okay, let's stop. Let's like think this through. Okay, you stop the production. You stop the mining, of these uh, elements of these components that you need to like create all these things in society. So then, where do you go from there? Like, <laughs> just like what is the solution? Well, like, and that's you- just
1: it, right? Like, I. I- I don't know what what this guy would say if we asked him what he thinks the solution is. But yeah. it's like if I made the assumption that he's advocating for a pause on technological advancement, a pause on, uh, you know, just what we uh, – production and and changing all of our types of lifestyle, that's a whole different kind mm-hmm. of ballpark. Like I, I kind of can understand where those guys come from, but at the same time, it's it's mm-hmm. so – uh, separate from the traject- trajectory we're currently on, that from it's reality. Uh, frig. <laughs> it's yeah, it starts to border on on delusion. Yeah, so yes. Yeah, um, like, come on, man. Like. Grow
0: up, bro! You're like twelve or some shit. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I just I, don't think that we should destroy the planet in order to save
1: it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> right. You know, the quote honestly remind me of the <laughs> that movie, uh, pla- uh, Plan of the Humans, and mm. some of the things that were were said in the conclusion. There, you know, yeah. Mm. Uh, we finally have to face the fact that it's you know not the CO2 molecule but us destroying the planet
0: it's you not know, the CO2 molecule but the human molecule the dun 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 <laughs> we are the plague on the planet <laughs> we are the plague show yourselves
1: <laughs> and, and this is not <laughs> no, to say you know kidding, all jokes kidding. yeah uh, obviously <laughs> the, the joking here but and I absolutely love uh, conservation efforts and there's mm-hmm. a time and place to like maintain the diversity on this planet NLP. and and maintain beautiful areas that yeah. we can appreciate in nature um the and there is a you know there should be uh, an, a very thorough analysis done when you consider where you're going to start mining mm-hmm. and making the selection that has the right cost and benefits. And, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, I don't know enough about the selection of this site to say whether or not I would agree with the placement of a mine here. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these are these are things that have to be done, uh, you know, analysis uh, have to be done for this. But, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, mining, mining is a reality. That's, I, I guess, yeah. the, the final point. The mining is a reality. It happens. And like we said, there's better ways to do it um and if we do it in in the countries that are wealthy enough to consider environmental impacts and mm-hmm. consider
0: the rights of workers i think we're we're choosing a, mm-hmm. a better way of mining i think it's time you know like we've exported these uh these productions to other countries because it's been convenient like we're exporting the waste but there's so many benefits where there's jobs not only the jobs that can be created economically but then also like the, the 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 emissions can be dealt with more strategically than if we're to rely on like china to do it you know like i'm sure they're doing some stuff but not everything You know, um, again, and not the same standard, but yeah, anyways. um, Right.
1: So I think we've talked a lot now about how lithium is extracted, the environmental impact of it. Now, What I want to do is is close off on talking about recycling. And uh, when I looked into recycling, I came across this company called Licycle. Li being the periodic short form for lithium on the periodic table. It also has seems like you're talking about life cycle. Clever name for a company, and they're a Canadian company, and they are uh, a a leader in North America in terms of developing a technology that can economically recycle lithium. And this is so important because under current economic conditions, if you can't make it economical you're not gonna have recycling happen,
0: mm-hmm. okay?
1: You're gonna mm-hmm. have this one-way trajectory of extracting a resource from our planet, a finite resource, and it being disposed of in a way that uh, just puts that resource back into the ground and right. combined with all the other parts that we put into it. So, we, we we're, When you create a battery, it doesn't have lithium, it has cobalt, it has nickel, it has plastic, it has other metals in it. So recycling is huge. Um, And uh, what I did was kind of go through some interviews um, that uh, different um, outfits did with the chief commercial officer at Lifecycle. Uh, I might be butchering his name, but I think it's uh, Cunnell Felfer. And he basically (laughs) sits down and talks about how how the Lifecycle process works and what their um, able to achieve, and now it says on their website that they are able to achieve an unpar- unparalleled recovery rate of up to ninety-five percent of all materials. All materials. Um, so I read that as it's probably from some materials, and they don't specify which ones they are. It's going to be lower than ninety-five percent. Ninety-five is very good for recycling uh, something economically, um, because if you if you're trying to get to one hundred percent it takes way too much energy to do that uh, that's why I, a lot of places don't do it and the uh the the components of uh, of a battery vary like i've said earlier so lithium is just one part of it um so why don't we jump into that first clip uh of the life, of the life cycle interviews
4: but what are some of those common myths that come up around lithium-ion battery recycling? Yeah, I mean one of the one of the interesting things when the business was started was that the lithium couldn't be recovered, actually, from lithium-ion batteries. And that's what from a technology perspective we've seeked To uh, resolve and get rid of that notion that you can't recover the lithium back from the lithium ion batteries in an economic manner, I should say. But I think the other thing is that there are other parts of the process and and existing companies often would, you know, discharge and very, uh, you know, rudimentary methods of discharging and then dismantling the batteries. And these are problems that we've overcome. And uh, Alan can speak to this too. But when we go out to the market and meet with new customers, people can't believe that we're able to shred batteries in a submerged fashion safely without any thermal event or, or fire associated with. So linked to what Alan was saying, I mean, safety is a a big part of it and that's why people have maybe hesitated or, or shied away from recycling these batteries. You can simply just shred alkaline batteries. There's no, or very little risk, Uh, but you can't just, take a shredder and shred lithium ion batteries it'll it'll cause a fire and that's linked to the myth it, it was that can you do it safely and still have a high recovery rate and that's one of the things that lie cycles aim to resolve so i thought that was fascinating i had no idea how
1: the how people would even go about recycling a lithium ion battery but mm-hmm. the, the concept is battery recycling begins with basically the shredding of of the battery there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of sorting that happens like between small batteries and big batteries but the first step in this process is 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 shredding them and uh, Mm -hmm. the thing with lithium as this cco points out is you put it into a shredder it goes boom <laughs> it catches on fire there's 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 a, a high risk of, uh, that i think you called it a thermal event occurs mm-hmm. and so what they're doing at live cycle is actually doing the shredding underwater or in solution mm-hmm. to reduce this and uh this i Makes think sense. was the key concept that allowed them to to get into lithium recycling um but it was interesting to hear him say that, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the company, they didn't even know how to recover the lithium part of the lithium battery. They were probably recovering other parts of it, like the plastics and other metals, but they weren't were able to actually uh, capture a significant amount of the lithium. Because if you have – another thing I'm I'm thinking happens, if you allow a fire to take place in your lithium battery, you're basically starting to burn shit, right? Yeah. You're burning the components of it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you're destroying it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you're you're losing Mm -hmm. some of that material. Um, And I think that's so powerful that they've actually started to recycle lithium batteries because I think yeah that that has been one of the limiting factors of the the batteries that like once we're done using them, what do we do with them? Um, Do you just dig them in the ground or whatever? But if we can recycle them in a sustainable manner, then that's that's huge. And I think with the kind of like the first generation of EVs of Tesla is kind of coming to their life cycle, like ends and like a lot of those batteries kind of uh, being used and then now later being used for like uh, energy storage then they're probably going to have – we're going to see an influx of of demand for like, okay, all these spent batteries that need to be taken care of. They need to be recycled somehow. So it's like the perfect timing almost.
1: Yeah. It seems. And that's what he gets – he actually gets into that a little bit uh, in his interviews just talking about like this is such a pivotal point in their company as there is more – Uh, push to create evs there's uh, the aging evs are of the from from six seven years ago are you know some of these batteries are going out for waste Mm -hmm. uh, and they're seeing um you know just demand for uh, for for uh for recycling and really any anybody that's critical of these companies like Tesla and, and saying, are you actually environmentally friendly? What are you doing with your lithium and, and, uh, at the end? They're looking out and saying, what can we do? and Who's mm-hmm. providing us recycling options? And that's why I think Lifecycle is becoming or is the number one recycler mm-hmm. in North America. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, So Yeah. A few more of these clips to just talk a bit more about the process uh, that uh, they're imp- uh, applying here
4: the limiting factor for EV production is the amount of batteries that can be produced. How do you re-ingest a battery back into the system once that it's gone through the life cycle? Yeah, for sure. So what we do is when we take the batteries, we're bringing it down to the fundamental building blocks: So cobalt chemical, lithium chemical, nickel, and our relationships on that end, and, and we're starting to develop those as we increase our volume, is to bring that back into one step before the cell manufacturing, so the the cathode manufacturer, um, because they're the ones that are taking those pure uh, or those individual materials and and creating a product that goes into the cell. Uh, Those relationships can be strengthened through partnership with the cell manufacturer as well. Uh, But that's where we reinsert ourselves into the supply chain.
1: So one of the things I've always wondered about lithium recycling is, is it downcycled? What I mean by that, is it that after they do their whole process of trying to um, uh, extract the the materials from the old battery, is that used to make an inferior product? Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've found so far is it's not the case. They've actually been able to reproduce these materials to a level that they can be um uh, used to make the same product again which is fantastic that is mm-hmm. what recycling needs to be it needs yeah. to be things need to be you know uh not, not downcycled but upcycled or at yeah. least at least be able to make the equivalent pro- pro- process That's powerful. Yeah. So I got one more clip from him uh and sorry no no. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Well, i just say one more clip from him uh and that kind of rounds off the whole uh the whole recycling bit of this. Let's do it.
4: You have a technology uh, hub and spoke, spoke and hub. Explain how that works. Yeah. So when the company was founded, we really saw that there's a few key challenges, Uh, one of them being the centralized nature of sort of legacy technologies. And one of the industry challenges is less so on the small format, but still an issue. But on the large format batteries, these things are heavy. And, and basically your cost to move them to a recycler is based on the weight and distance, right? So right. what we've done is decoupled the two stage process with the spoken hub concept so that the spokes can be a decentralized first stage process. And what that does simply put is shred the battery into inert products. Some of it is just plastic or copper aluminum that can be recycled more locally. And then the high value material enters in an intermediate product called black mass that we can ship to a centralized hub, which then refines it into those, those core materials like cobalt, nickel, lithium. And, and that process benefits from scale and, and being in a, a centralized approach to get the economics to work in, in a positive manner. So that's how we've split up. And that second process is a chemical process a hydrometallurgy uh, process that processes that black mass.
1: Okay, I found this fascinating. So he's basically talking about how, how, how have they made the economics work for this recycling process. So they came up with this term spoken hub and hubs are centralized recycling plants that deal with the, uh, the black mass. And spokes are kind of like these mobile facilities that you can bring out to wherever um, you have your lithium waste. And the spokes would be just facilities that uh, are set up to shred the lithium battery, and and produce, uh, separate the you know uh, what do you say? I think it's a copper and plastic, which you can then recycle locally in whatever municipality or town you're in, and then it also produces a black math that is is a powder. That are put in these large one-ton bags and shipped off to the hubs to get refined into uh, pure versions of lithium, cobalt, nickel. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's just you're just talking about you know, realistically, to, to j- if you just had hubs and you were trying to ship ship uh, uh, ship all the, uh, the the heavy lithium batteries to it, the shipping costs are are going to basically make the process uneconomical or less economical mm-hmm. so the
0: um it makes sense yeah
1: it does make a lot of sense and this is, this is one of those clever ways you know that you know a solution we have we have so many solutions that are uh, available to us but the other thing we have to contend with is the economic system so just mm-hmm. because we can do something um we often can't do it because there's just no Positive economics on it, and yeah. and so when we I hear about a company achieving both a good solution and they're able to make money off it, kudos to those those guys for doing this. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think like when when it comes to like the the efficacy of a process, again, like we need to look at. Uh, kind of like what we what we said at the beginning like the creative the grave analysis and these guys have really addressed that grave aspect of like what do we do to bring these bad boys back to life so once they've been spent once they've like served their life as uh, the the battery for an electric vehicle for um, some sort of energy storage and then like what, what do we do well these guys come in and they are able to like uh, grind it up separate it through their chemical process and Uh, go back into the the supply chain and i think that's powerful you know like yeah and and makes it it helps further the case of lithium so that um when environmental groups do complain about it you know at least there, there are things that that can be done because again we have to take like a realistic approach of what um of like how how these things are are managed and like there is waste so okay if this is true then we have to also know like how do we handle this waste so um one other th- way when it comes to handling the waste actually is um when it comes to the rare earth metals that are within these vehicles uh something that i came across which was uh, interesting Was that a lot of companies were looking at changing their, um, um, what's it called, their methodology so that way they weren't using these rare earth metals. Because as I said, the uh, neodymium supply is heavily controlled by China and um, separating the materials. Uh, requires huge amounts of carcinogenic compounds uh, like sulfate, ammonia, hydrochloric uh, acid. So, so it's a pretty dirty process in its own in its own right. And uh, processing one ton of this rare earth produces two thousand tons of toxic waste. Right. So one one ton of processed <laughs> metal uh, leads to two thousand tons of toxic waste. So it's uh, pretty dirty stuff. And uh, again, we're relying on um, China for it, and a lot of companies such as B and W and Renault have looked at creating um, or moving away from um, the 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 supply from China and creating motors that don't rely on these metals. So I think it's kind of like an interesting way of. Um, just like again like ingenuity kind of like being creative and how like for example it says here uh renault has utilized a a wound wound rotor configuration to replace magnets with copper windings so the neo uh is used as a, as a magnet, mm-hmm. and it's a really efficient magnet, right? So what these guys have done is uh, they're, they're winding a router configuration um, with, with copper windings. And BMW's fifth generation drivetrain has eliminated the rare earths. Um, and, and Audi has opted for an, uh, an aluminum rotor induction motor for the e-tron so it's just to say that you know there's a lot of like ingenuity and there's a lot of um i think a lot of companies are recognizing the the threat or the potential for a threat when we are heavily reliant on one source for these uh, rare earth metals and there's uh it's kind of cool to see that they're responding by creating these alternative motor uh, configurations or just like just different ways of doing things um as a result so that way we're not even using the the metals at all that's huge uh, although with that being said uh, with the uh, I found this other article from Forbes that says that funny enough um, so even though there's some good news in that side, uh, the U.S. still needs ten times more rare earth metals to hit Joe Biden's electric vehicle goals. So because <clears throat> the U.S. has pledged to uh, increase its electric uh, v- uh, vehicle production and like uh, you know subsidize uh, this and that, um, it inevitably means that we're gonna need ten times more of these rare earth metals. Um, Perhaps, unless we like really jack up the production of these uh, alternatives that don't use these rare earth metals, but it it kind of like, yeah, Um, again, it goes huge pressure.
1: Yeah. And is that going to happen in parallel with with the attempts to meet this goal? Mm -hmm. Something that we didn't touch on, but I think is is key in all of this is going back to why. Why are we trying to go to these electric grids and to these electric vehicles? Well, we're being told we're trying to go to them to reduce CO2, right? So when we are trying to import you know, thousands of tons of rare earth metals from other places, we require shipping. Shipping happens all the time around the world. But the important thing that you know, people need to realize is shipping comes with a carbon footprint. So the more mm-hmm. you have to ship stuff, the more you're creating this, mm-hmm. you know, carbon footprint. Emissions. And the, from the further, from further distances is a larger footprint. And so, you know.
0: Arguably, that's where hydrogen vehicles would come in, hydrogen engines. Exactly. Well,
1: that's that would be a, a one way of solving that issue. Okay, yes, we have to transport things for long distances because we can't get a, a local solution, or we can't substitute some other material for it, so yes, we're going to have to use these uh, mines that are located in certain pers- certain locations across the world. So we're going to rely on shipping, but the shipments are going to be done with a low CO two uh, uh, fuel source, such as helium. So, but that's you know again, I just don't want people to th- get this idea in their head that somehow we're eliminating co2 when really we're just creating it from it The where co2 emissions are coming from are just moving to different areas and we got to yeah. be really careful we
0: managing the point sources
1: 100 so whenever you see an analysis done about oh this is this much better for co2 reasons you really have to get into the weeds of what what was considered are they considering these externalities and often we are not we haven't been doing it for a long time and we've you know, we talked about externalities in our podcast on uh, carbon tax. Um, you know, and if we're if we're really thinking we we need to reduce CO two, you have to start considering this bigger picture of everything. Mm. So, and what's the time frame of analysis that you're looking at, right? Another thing, right? You know, these things don't have an immediate benefit. In fact, you know, the benefit's going to take a few years. If we make products that last a few years, that's okay. But if these products start to break down before they break even, then what is the point?
0: Yeah, you know yeah, exactly, exactly. Again, like one hundred twenty-five k until you break even. Free. That's like sixty-five. Like, come on, man. Like, but like to me that, that like coming up with that number that was so mind-boggling. Honestly, like j- just the fact that like the the push is coming towards electric vehicles. But meanwhile, you're not gonna see that payback period for at least another eight years, and the catastrophe is gonna happen by then. So <laughs>
1: the alleged catastrophe, yes, exactly, So yeah. the
0: solutions that are being proposed are just like I guess maybe they're maybe that would further incentivize them to say that they're not radical enough, <laughs> and some people are like oh we gotta go even more radical. Huh? Some people might take the wrong lesson from that, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always another reason to go more more extreme, I guess. Yeah, um, But yeah, that that company, I was trying to actually like look into what they did. Um, Which company is this? Uh, yeah, Turntide Technologies. They're a U.S. startup that makes energy-efficient electric motors without rare earth metals. And they raised $225 million underlying growing investor appetite for a climate technology startup. Yeah. Um, So I try to go into, and this was an article from June 30th, 2021, so pretty recent. But I couldn't really get into the details of how their technology actually worked. Um, But it's, I don't know, some breakthrough stuff that's going to accelerate electrification and sustainable operation for energy intensive industries. Just reading off their website there um but yeah no again again i guess it's cool that there's innovation happening and people are moving away from these uh magnet-based motors towards i guess these are air-based or something like yeah i don't even know that could yeah be i mean of discussion for another episode but anyways
1: yeah it definitely could be and there's so much innovation happening and at this moment in time because of this push to make uh Uh, electric vehicles, uh, become the dominant form for transportation for, especially for like, um, passenger vehicles and such, but, uh, and we're, we're, you know, a lot of companies keep this stuff hush hush until, until they have a product they can put out there. And then we just get a chance to talk about and look at their actual, um, products once that happens uh so there's more definitely more to come on this and i i did want to clarify my point saying uh that I, or what i said earlier like what's the point but what's the point is 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 not me saying st- don't buy an ev the EVs mm-hmm. still have a, a a chance of being the better option my mm-hmm. point is we need to be careful here because they mm-hmm. there's other things that have to fall into place for them to be actually mm-hmm. the the better option and mm-hmm. and so it's 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 not me saying don't if you if you're into the whole EV thing you know stick with it i th- i think these are the innovations are are happening and we're going the right way but you know uh it's 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 not the silver bullet
0: that yeah. is being sometimes said that it is yeah yeah that part is true from what that kid was saying is that it, it is not a, a silver bullet and hopefully it's one technology of many but as you said it's kind of like there's a bunch of other things that have to be happening in conjunction in parallel to the uh, electric vehicles whether it's with the recycling and the reintegration and the upcycling or whatever And um, just getting like that diverse or maybe even moving away from them entirely. So, yeah, I think it's it's a there's many different things that have to be happening. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. Any any last uh, thoughts on uh, this uh, this episode uh, before we wrap up there? Just,
1: you know, one to say. uh, This is what we kind of do on this podcast. You know, we we talk, we get into the, you know, nitty gritty details about different uh, environmental, sustainable green technologies and, and try to really, you know, break them down, you know, really look at what, what they are going to achieve realistically. And, um, how, you know, if you enjoy this, I, I hope you consider supporting us in the future. We're uh, we're working on that still, and uh, yeah, that that's why I just want to remind people that when you come to this podcast uh, and you hear us bring up these issues, this is not something you're going to hear it on other places. You know, there's a lot of channels out there where all these technologies are are being discussed. Um, I want to say almost superficially in some ways, and uh, what we're here to do is discuss some of the problems with them, um, not just to shit on them, but to make people aware that these are real problems and and that there's more that we needs to be done uh, when it comes to these different technologies.
0: Mm-hmm that's a that's a great point and if you like this episode there's another episode that we did that talked about hydrogen and the integration of hydrogen into the the economy and how it uh, and what role it plays in the the conversation of a sustainable energy grid so if you like this conversation then you like that one head on over to our uh, apple podcast spotify our website you will find the library of all our episodes uh, hydrogen is one of our most recent episodes if you liked it give us a five-star review um uh, tell your friends please give it a share and we will be catching you on the uh, on the next episode and uh, this is trees i'm uh, joined by my co-host elliot and uh we'll catch you guys next time break down from the ground up first principles. signing out peace peace <laughs>